The following audio is from Sand Hills Community Church. More information about Sand Hills Community Church is available at www.sandhillschurch.org. Yeah, Jeff and I were talking and uh, we we're processing just, you know, how frustrating it is when, you know, you've got a goal that you set about, especially if you want to go into ministry, and here's something I want to do, and here's where I want to be, and then you get in the middle of it, and you got all this stuff going on, and then suddenly something really weird just hits you, like this thing, something you couldn't anticipate, and it rearranges your whole plan. I mean, this dramatically affects what, what they do, or maybe even their future, uh, where they are, like they don't know how this is going to affect them. And um, it actually ties into what we're going to be talking about today in the book of 2 Corinthians. If you have your Bible handy, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, because something similar has happened with Paul. Uh, by the time you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul is also frustrated because he's been sidetracked by something he did not expect. We wrapped up last week talking about 2 Corinthians chapter 10 with the idea that Paul was saying to the church, like, I just, I just wish you guys would get healthy, you know, as, that you would be fully submitted to Jesus and that as a church you would function as a healthy church and then you would do the work of the ministry so that I wouldn't have to keep coming back both to correct you and to do the work that you guys should be doing. And so his goal is that the church get where they need to be with Jesus, that they would become the ministry in the area that they need to be, and then he and his other, uh, the apostles could go off and start other churches uh, rather than keep coming back to fix this particular church. Or when they did come back, that it would be a better visit. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, this is where we're going to be as we talk about the foolishness of Paul, the foolishness of Paul. Uh, These are words he uses, not words I'm using to describe him. I I don't think Paul's foolish, uh, but he's going to talk about this. The, The people that have taken over the church in his absence... Uh, came along with the idea of pedigree, right? They they came along. So here's what happened. So Paul planted the church, taught the church, got them going. Now you can imagine a group of people just learning how to follow Jesus and you mentor them, you you pour into their lives and then you leave and other people are coming in. And so this is kind of a a church with rotating ministers coming in. Well, a couple of them come in and they they speak really eloquently and they've got degrees and uh, letters where people are signing off on them. Uh, you know, it would be the equivalent for us of if somebody stands up before you and says, listen, I've, I've got a doctorate, I've written a couple books, um, I've taught at a seminary, you know, whatever they go. And then when they begin to speak, if they're really articulate, really sharp, you go, oh, I'm, I'm going to listen to this guy, right? Yeah. We're going to accept a lot of their content with, without much uh, critical thinking, probably, just because they have all these degrees behind their name. And so we'll just assume that they're going to be right in what they talk about. And, and what Paul's going to say is that's very dangerous. It's dangerous just to assume that somebody knows what they're talking about because that's what the church in Corinth did and it led them astray. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, let me read for us the first couple of verses. He says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. So the foolishness that Paul is asking excuse for is the foolishness to boast. He's going to brag about himself a little bit, frankly, because the other guys have been bragging about themselves, and that's why the church has turned away. Like, Paul, we don't know you. We don't know your background. Like, listen, you're great. You started us on this journey, but these guys, they're really smart. They got, you know, they got all this affirmation. People love them. We don't know about you. So Paul's like, okay, fine. You want me to talk about myself? I'm going to talk about myself. And actually, for the next few weeks, that's what we're going to talk about is him kind of pausing to boast uh, about what God's doing in his life, how he's working with him. And he doesn't like it. Uh, He doesn't want to do that. He just wants to show that God's hand is on him. And I would say this, not that God's hand is all also on him, but then in comparison to these other false teachers, God's hand is exclusively on him and not them. And, uh, and the guys that he runs with are uh, ones really following the Lord. But his desire is he really wants them to walk with Jesus. That's what he wants. And, and really, he gives this great illustration. 
about the idea that I feel a divine jealousy for you, a godly jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. That is, he has this picture that the, the church is under his care, that he's got to get them following Christ. So at the end of time, uh, when they finally meet their Savior face to face, that Paul can be like, I did it. Yeah, I invested my life in, in raising my kids to where they needed to be. And the, the wedding illustration is great, and it's, a, it's particularly great for me because uh, I'm marrying my daughter this coming June. Is she here yet? Maybe second service, next service? Okay, so uh, she always sits over there, I was just speaking. So, uh, yeah, no offense to you, dude, you're not her. Um, so I, I was thinking about this idea of like, uh, what's it mean for a dad? Like, when as a dad can you ever sign off uh, on being successful? And listen, as parents, we know that like your kids are never done, right? Just like you're never done. But the goal of a dad is that you wanna raise a daughter that you have poured into, if you're raising a girl, you, you pour into her life and she's a woman of, of character and of integrity and of purity, honesty, that she's beautiful on the inside as well as the outside, and that you as a parent, you've tried to parent her well. And, and if she will work with you on this and submit and, and make good decisions, that one day there's gonna be a godly man that comes along. And you're gonna wanna be able to, to stand on that wedding day and give her away proudly. Like we did what we could. She responded, she's walking with Jesus. This is a godly man. You're gonna put them together. And then as a dad, you're gonna be like, you know, like, I did it. Right? I did. I did the best that I could. Now, listen, we, I get parenting. It doesn't always work that way. Kids don't always play along. Parents don't always play along. Like, it can be a mess. But that's the goal. And that's what I want uh, when, I, when I hit June. I'm giving my daughter ways to say, okay, okay, we did this one. I, got, I feel good about that. Now we'll see what happens with my son. But um, this, this whole thing here of the, of the, of the idea that, that that's what I want. And that's what he's saying he wants for them. I'm like, I want to get to this, uh, this idea that when I finally give you a way to the, to the groom at the end of time, that, that you guys have been just a noble group of people that you've really submitted to Jesus and you're following him well. Now, this actually makes me think of something and follow me here. It's gonna take me a second to get there, but just work with me. All right, last Sunday evening, there was a football game on TV. <laughs> and um, so it was a Super Bowl. And, uh, and uh, I, I'm a huge, huge Chiefs fan. I mean, no lie, I listen to a daily podcast of the Chiefs almost year-round. I'm just, just at it. It's like, that's bad, right? I'm, I, got, I got issues. Uh, I also listen to a lot of the Bible, so it's cool. Um, but somebody asked me recently, like, why the Chiefs? Why would you be so inclined to the Chiefs? Um, so Kansas City is actually my hometown. I was born in Kansas City, Missouri at St. Joseph's Medical Center. In fact, I think we've got a picture of it right here. Oh, oh, wait, that's not... That's, yeah, that's not the one I'm... I, do we not have the... We don't have the no, okay. Is that all we got? All right, well, we'll just, you can leave it up. I mean, it's... No? Okay. Um, yeah, no, so, so I love the Chiefs, and I, I, I'll tell you, if, you, if you're a fan, you, you, when you watch those games when your team is down like that, I didn't enjoy but like the last six, seven minutes of the Super Bowl. Um, and the rest of the time, my, people in my house, I know they were just... It was like pity. It was like, Jeff, I'm so sorry. You know, we'll pray for you, you know, kind of thing. It was just, it was, and then everything turned out okay. So, you know, actually kind of a picture probably of how this world works with Jesus, right? You know, like, it looks like it's over. Oh, no, wait, we win. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm watching the game and I, I, lo I love the game. But then they got to the halftime show. And uh, man, I just got to be honest with you. Oh, I struggle with that, especially like this is my team plan. Um, and so let me just do this. There's been a lot of people, for those of you that didn't watch it, um, it was, I don't know, I wouldn't recommend it to you. It was just one of those crazy things. But there's been a lot of stuff on social media, but I, I, I was thinking as a dad. So let me just take a dad's perspective for a second. So if I'm a dad with this idea that I'm raising my daughter and I want her to be noble, godly, pure, like if she watches that halftime show, like what conclusions is she drawing about who she needs to be? Like, like what kind of picture of identity 
and value is she seeing that culture places on women? Like, like how does this affect her self-image? So I, I got to struggle with that. And then, then as, as a dad of a son, I'm thinking, if my son is watching this, what does this teach him about how his view should be toward women and the ideal of how women should be in our culture? I get, you know, I get we live in a, a society where not everybody thinks the same morally. Totally get that. And I'm coming from a completely, you know, Christian framework. You know, that I, I'm processing it that way. So I, I get that not everybody would agree with me on that. But I just think as a dad, like we could do better, right? Women hold up heroes. Let's hold up heroes. Talk about women's empowerment. Let's talk about godly, noble, intelligent women that have made a real contribution to our society. Uh, and I would say this is one who loves entertainment. So I guess my thought is let's just be careful, right? We've got to be careful as a community, but we can't fix the world and the culture around us, but in our own homes, let's make sure we're having these conversations, right? Um, so then this is what Paul wants. He just wants uh, a church like we would want a daughter that's free. He wants a church that's, is, that's, uh, that's pure. So let's talk about this. Now, ju- not just his foolishness, but the foolishness of those who surround him, the foolishness of others. Uh, verses three and four. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. So let me pause here for just a moment. So he's connected then this idea of the deception by the church leaders with Satan. I mean, he's, he's, he's drawing a direct correlation, the idea that, that Satan's deception and the deception of the church leadership is right on par with one another. And if we remember all the way back to the beginning of time, when, when Satan deceived Adam and Eve, now this is curious about this, that Satan may have been the prime generator of this, where he's, he's talking to them and he's got with this cunning, he's trying to sell them on something, that, that Adam and Eve are still held culpable for their response. That is that we may be led astray, but nobody stands before God at the end of time and says, Lord, I would have believed otherwise, but these people taught me something, something different. Or I would have believed otherwise, but this author I read, or, or this movie I watched, like my parents that raised me taught me to think I was taught wrongly, so that's what. That's never an excuse before the Lord. We are all held accountable for whether or not we understood truth, and that comes back on all of us. So even if you have been deceived, and so then I would say this in the church even more so, we've got to be very careful about who we listen to, right? And so I would even, I tell people this all the time, even with me, like it has to be that if what I say doesn't line up with scripture, then you don't listen. Or maybe you come talk to me and like, hey, like, am I seeing this right? Are you seeing this right? What's I mean, we can have those conversations, but the idea is that we all come back to a common document. We come back to the word of God. And he says, listen, this is just like Satan. And if you remember what Satan did in the temptation of Adam and Eve and the temptation of Jesus when he tempts him, what he does is he takes a little bit of God's word and then, he, and then he just turns a little bit sideways, right? Just a little bit, just a little, a little nudge. Just turns it, that, and that's, that is what Satan does. Satan likes to come along to the church and he likes just to, to nudge us a little bit off course because here's what happens. When he turns us just a little bit off course, what it does is it changes our trajectory. And what starts off as a one degree turn can end up 100 degrees off by the time you get down the line. And so that's whenever I see stuff in our culture that, that changes trajectory, I always wonder where that's going to take us, right? Like the, the first movement, yeah, it may not seem like much, but where does it take us? And, and in here, it got them off course. And notice what he identifies. Let's go back and call him out again. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, Hey, listen, they're not just messing up whether or not you can play cards or go dancing, right? They've messed up Jesus. 
Like, how do you mess up Jesus? And here's what's funny. While he's talking about, they, they've messed up on Jesus, they've messed up on the Spirit, they've messed up on the gospel. While he's talking about that, he doesn't say specifically the heresy, right? Heresy is what it takes us off course, right? It's the, it's the false teaching. Like, he didn't say what the heresy is, and, and here's why. He's less concerned with the particular heresies. He's more concerned with the effect on the church. That's why he's saying, like, you guys, you got to be careful. You're being deceived by Satan, now, in our day and age, I mean, there's all sorts of ways that, that you can get this wrong. And I thought maybe just for your own processing, it might, might help to think about, here's how somebody can get it wrong. Like when it comes to about Jesus, like some ask, did he actually exist or not? Or was he actually God or not? Or does that matter? What was his real purpose in being here? Did he actually do miracles? Is his death essential? Or is it just a sad thing that happened to a wise prophet? You know, these kind of things. Like, here, if you don't answer those questions correctly, you literally can miss out on salvation. This is important stuff. Or the Spirit. Who is the Spirit of God? What's the fruit of the Spirit? How do I receive the Spirit? How would I know if I received the Spirit? These are all essential to walking with Christ. Like, we've got to know these things. Or when you mess up the gospel, what is the gospel really? What is the good news that Jesus wants us to know? Uh, is it that God wants me to have a better life? Or does he just want me to be fulfilled? Or is he worried about my happiness? Or is it just a salvation thing? Like, what is... Like these, we would all agree, these are life and death eternal questions. Like we've got to get these right. So what Paul is saying is like, not only has Satan begun to deceive you through these other leaders, but when you start messing up on these things, you might be missing out on eternal life and yet pursuing with confidence that you have it. So this is the danger. And now you can see why, why Paul is so concerned about this. This is a serious thing for him. So, you know, when people get Jesus wrong, they say they're Christians, but their life looks nothing like Christ, Right? And when churches get Jesus wrong, uh, they may come and they sing the songs, and they do the stuff, and they have some sort of sermon or whatever, but it's full of chaos and corruption and greed and, and gossip and, and power-hungry people. It's just, it becomes a mess. And that's what has happened with the church of Corinth. Like, that's what he's trying to combat. He's like, I can look at your lifestyle. You guys are a wreck, and you need to get back to the true gospel. But let me, can I get these last words that he puts on here? They're really key at the end of verse four. When you hear all these things, all these heresies, he says, you put up with it readily enough. Now, honestly, if you were hearing this and you were the church in Corinth, that would be an ow moment. <laughs> ow, that one stings. Because here's, here's what he just said to them. When you hear heresy, you no longer recognize it. In fact, you drink it in and ask for more. That, that's your problem. Now, can you imagine as a church, like, ow, Paul. So like he is straight up chastising them uh, at this point that you, you no longer recognize heresy. Um, and I, here's, a, here's a good clue for you. If you ever hear somebody teach, uh, and, and we do have to be careful. Like, can I just say, we got to be careful who we read and who we listen to and who we celebrate in our culture and whose seminars we go to and whose Bible studies we do. Because just because they say they're for the Lord and they sound, doesn't mean they're right, right? And so we've got to be careful with that. But if you ever hear a teacher say something and you think to yourself, oh, I have never heard that before. Right, be careful. <laughs> just be careful. Like, I, like, none of us knows everything, right? I get it. And it literally may be this is just something you've never heard before. But just be careful. Like, like check this. Check it against the scripture and check it with godly people that you know who are, who are fairly sharp, intelligent, you know you can trust. Talk to them about it and, and see if you can get some clarity here. So I, I had a friend of mine I was hanging out with a few weeks ago. I had dinner with him. And uh, he goes to a church up in Charlotte, and um, he was talking to a buddy of his that goes to another church. And this buddy that went to that other church was telling him, uh, you know, about this new teaching that he had been hearing. And so he shared with my friend, and my friend said to me, uh, and now he's sharing with me as though, I'm sure you already know this, but let me tell you what I just learned. 
And I was like, well, cool. Tell me what you're learning. He said, well, I found out there's only four types of covenant in the whole of scripture. I was like, okay. Uh, you know, I'm already like, like my antenna's already like, ding, a little yellow flag going up. And then when he shares with me these names of these covenants and what they are, like, I have never, ever heard about any of these, right? Now, I don't know everything, um, but I've had a good bit of schooling. And I've, I've been reading a good bit of books and I've been doing this for a couple of decades. Like, it is really hard to throw new heresies at me. Like, I'm familiar with a lot of false teaching. Um, and when he's sharing this with me, I just, I was like, oh, time out, bro. Like, who did you hear this from? And, you know, my buddy of mine, he goes to this other church. I said, okay, listen, I don't know where all he's going with this, but this sounds like the makings of heresy. Like, you, it sounds like it is, it, it's that nudge. Sounds right, put this together. But what it does is it takes you on a trajectory away from the gospel. And you're going to end up somewhere far astray. And so I just cautioned him with that. And what's funny too is when I, when I said, man, I don't know about that. It sounds to me like false teachings. It sounds like heresy. Um, it was funny because he's like, oh man, he said, I thought so. But I, and so this is what I'm reminded of is that a lot of times, even when we're hearing heresy, we're like, something doesn't sound right about this. Something doesn't sound right, but you say it's right. Like, I'm going to go with it. And let me tell you, culture does this with us all the time. Now you want to talk about this is how the nudge of Satan works. Let me, let me just take a, uh, an issue in our society today that most Christians would agree with, maybe not uh, a lot of people outside the church. And if you're newer to church or you're just visiting with us, just bear with me in this. So, so we're in a day and age now where um, we would say as a culture, not as a church, as a culture, that uh, men can be women and women can be men, right? That's where, that's where our culture is today. Uh, like, like if you told me this 20 years ago, I'd have been like, as a, nobody would ever believe that. If you had told me, oh, we'll be teaching it to our children in elementary school at some point, I'd have been like, oh, come on, man. Like, this never going to happen, right? That's not even logical. Forget biblical. And then, ta-da. So, um, so this is one of the, that's that nudge. So here's the question we need to be asking. So as culture, because here's the thing. Culture wants us to believe stuff like that. That's that nudge of Satan. We don't need to ask what just happened. We need to ask, when you fully live that out, where does that take you? That's when you start stepping back and going, ooh. Like the implications of that are really serious. Yeah, they are. But, but that's with everything. Because that's what Satan wants to do. Is he just wants to, to nudge us off course. Look at verses 5 and 6. Indeed, I consider that I'm not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I'm unskilled in speaking, I'm not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. So now what Paul's trying to do is he's trying to say, listen, this nudge that Satan has introduced through these super apostles. Like if I was to say it like this, here's really what he's saying. Hey, listen, I, I just want you to know I'm not in the least uh, compare, uh, as you compare me to these other, you know, slick preachers here. Right? So when you hear super apostles here, that is sarcasm, and the apostle Paul was good at it, right? So he's really saying, oh, I, I get it. You're listening to these slick preachers out there, but I want you to know something. I don't think I'm less than these little slick dudes that you're listening to out there. And what he's trying to do is he's saying here, there's a reason you should listen to me. And the reason he says you should listen to him is because God's literally spoken to him. Like, like that is something the other guys don't have. And, and even in our day, this is what he's saying. You hear this, you love the preaching, but something's not right about it. You know, we have that even in our day and age. And maybe you've heard this before. Have you ever listened to a pastor or a speaker that like they stir your heart, you're into them emotionally, you're tracking with them, they're powerful, you're receiving it. You know, you walk out of there, you're like, whoa, that was amazing. What did I just hear? Like, like, like what did I learn? And it, here's what you, you, like a steady diet of that, it's just like eating a lot of cotton candy. Like I feel real good when it comes in, but it's really not nutritional. It doesn't really help me in any way. And sometimes I feel a little sick afterwards. You know, it's like, yeah, there's some preaching like that. That's what this is. I was like, listen, I know it makes you feel good, but, but these super apostles, they're nothing. And if you feast on that, you're gonna go hungry. 
So he begins to build out his argument going into verse seven. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was, when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and I will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia or Greece. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows that I do. And so now, Paul is actually, he's using hyperbole. He's exaggerating for the point of effect. And so this whole idea, now, he's just been employing sarcasm, right? So hyperbole is not out of the realm of, of Paul. He's, he's trying to exaggerate so they understand. He's like, oh, did I? Was it me? Did I sin against you? Is that what it was? I must have sinned against you because I didn't charge you anything for the preaching of the gospel. Now, Paul's, he's so funny because he has taken the churches from Macedonia. Now, I don't know if you remember when we talked about this history, what's going on here. The churches in Macedonia are poor. They're dirt poor. And, and he's come to Corinth and Corinth is loaded, right? They are a wealthy port city. The people in their churches, loaded. And he comes along and he says, you, you do realize, of course, I haven't taken any money from you guys. Now, if you study what he has taught about uh, pastors, even going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, like he will say, ministers of the church have a right to receive from the church material possessions because of what they do, right? The idea is you can get paid to be a minister. In fact, that's a theme in scripture as well. And Paul says, I have that right. I have the right to be supported by you and I haven't even taken anything from you. So he's trying to paint this idea of like these other guys, when they come in, they're smooth of speech. They claim they have degrees. They have affirmation. Other people have heard them. They signed off on them. But what do they want from you? They want your money, they want control, and they want to be famous. And Paul's saying, I don't want any of those things. I just want you to walk with Jesus. Like, at the very least, that's something where you should pause and go, wow, you know, he's, he's right. He says, that's, that's why I haven't asked anything from you. That's why I'm letting other people support me is so that you can know I'm absolutely pure in my motives toward you. And with the idea of, therefore, why are you rejecting me? Why aren't you listening to me when I'm, I'm trying to teach you about God's word here? So um, Paul just wants them to know that he's absolutely pure in what he's trying to do. And, and the preachers of this vein, they're, they're deceptive. They're, they're trying to lead these people astray. This, this whole idea of, uh, I have some new information. Here's something you should listen to. And, uh, and Paul just calls them out for us. He says, listen, you, you don't need to be listening to, to people like this. Go to verse 12. What I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. Now, for just a moment there, I, just, <laughs> I love the story. He says, let me tell you why I'm not taking money from you. I want to undercut the other guys. I want to cut their legs out from under them. Because here's the thing. I'm not taking money from you. They are. And I'm telling you, what you get over here is pure. What you're paying for over there is junk. He says, that, you know what? I'll tell you why I'm not taking money. I want to cut their legs out from under them. So now you've got Paul, who's been sarcastic, used exaggeration, and he's like, I'm just trying to take these other guys out. They're like, hey, listen, at least with Paul, there's never a mystery as to where he stands, right? Now, ironically, this is the one who's actually following the Lord, right? And it's these other guys who aren't. Um, so anyway, verse 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder... For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. 
their end will correspond to their deeds. All right, so now, he's not just saying these other false teachers are ignorant. He says they're satanic. Now think about that. These are servants of Satan. Wow, that, that is a harsh accusation. And I guarantee you this, if you were to interview those people, I doubt any of them would say that they worked for the enemy. They would probably all say, no, I'm trying to do a good thing here. I'm trying to serve the Lord here. Now, you can have good intentions, but if you've got bad content, you're being used by the enemy. You're not being used by the Lord. And that's what was going on here. And that's why Paul is calling them out. I, he knows these guys are being deceptive. Like the things they think they're bringing to you, these new insights, they don't understand them because they're wrong. And wrong teaching will lead you astray. And you've got to be really careful about that. In fact, um, I had somebody asked me recently, they said, you know, how, how can I get some basic truths about, you know, doctrine? Like there, there are things I need to know in the faith. What can I? And so here's, I want to recommend you a book. This is a book that we use um, in one of our classes, Sand Hills University, and it's called Christian Beliefs. So Christian Beliefs, it was written by Dr. Wayne Grudem and uh, edited by his son, Elliot Grudem. Uh, so Dr. Wayne Grudem is a brilliant theologian. The actual book this really comes from is like, you know, one of these jobbies, uh, and they condensed it down. And what's really funny too is, I'm, you can see how big it is, right? It's, this, is a tiny, this is what I call a potty book. Like this is one of those, like, you can read it in no time. And uh, let me just tell you some of the things it covers, and I love this. So it says on the front, uh, 20 basics every Christian should know. And here's topics it, it covers in this little thin book. Uh, what is the Bible? What is God like? What is the Trinity? Um, what is creation? What is prayer? Angel, Satan, demons, man, sin, Christ, atonement, resurrection, election. You know, all these kinds, of, you're like, how did he get that in that little book? Exactly, right? Like, I don't know how he got all in there, but I would say this, at the very least, it is good theology. And if you're sitting there going, look, I just need like a, I need a primer. I just need to know some basic things about truth. This is the kind of stuff that guards us from buying into heresy. It, it, it protects us from being led astray. And these are the things I would say that we're accountable for knowing. And we, we want to make sure we, we know that. And, you know, with Paul here, as he calls us out, I am reminded that there are times where it is appropriate to call out false teachers and false teaching. I mean, there's a time to name names. That's what Paul's doing. Yeah, hey, those guys you're listening to, and they know who they're listening to. They're false teachers. Like, they're, they're of Satan. You just need to be aware of that. Their, their teaching is going to lead you astray. There's a time to do that, and, and Paul does that. But um, th this idea of Satan being an angel of light. So if Satan were to appear before us today, I think, I think I'm not a far astray in this. We have been led to believe, of course, that, that Satan is this, this grotesque and hideous uh, you know, goat-like tail, horns, you know, fangs, whatever, I, like whatever your picture of Satan is. I don't think that's what he looks like at all. In fact, I think if Satan were to reveal himself right here in front of us, he's a fallen angel. I think he'd be amazing. I think he'd be beautiful. And I think if you didn't know better, you'd be tempted to worship him. He, he appears as an angel of light. He's like, he appears good. He doesn't just appear neutral. He appears good noble, right, pure, lovely, acceptable. Like that's, that's what he looks like. So this idea then that the teaching he's introducing sounds like the same stuff. That when you hear what flows from Satan, remember I talked about the nudge? It sounds right. It sounds good. We should buy into this. Let me go back to my cultural illustration for just a second. So we talked about the boy-girl thing. If you go back to this idea that our culture has this idea that well, if a, a little boy feels like he might want to be a girl, a little girl feels like she might want to be a boy, like we should encourage that. And there's a part of you that sits back and you go, well, I want everybody to feel encouraged and, and I don't want to be a feel, to feel bad. So maybe that is the best thing. It's that little nudge. Because it sounds right. It, but here's the thing. When you go back to scripture, oh, wait, 
when God creates, he creates perfectly, right? He make no mistakes on how people are born. Then you want to say, well, our DNA is corrupted. Our, our, our humanity is corrupted. Oh, all that's true. But our identity is consistent and revealed by Scripture. And so that's when you come back and you go, oh. And so that's a great example of, and there's many examples like that in our culture today, where we're, we're told, like, you have to endorse this. You have to encourage this. You have to support this. And yet, it's false teaching. And ultimately, it finds its origin in Satan. So... Um, so here's Paul frustrated. He's frustrated that he has to come back to this. Like, why do I have to keep coming back to truth? Don't you understand truth? Why do I have to keep coming back to this? Because he wants to get onto his mission. And I think for us, and I, hopefully I could say that in this church, I hope we get right Jesus. I hope we get right the Spirit of God. I hope we get right the gospel. We understand what this is all really about. Um, and, and so for us, then, this idea of, we've, you know, we've got to put away our own foolishness, put away our own foolishness of the things that trap us, the things that get us off track, uh, the things that keep us away from God's mission. We've got to put that away. And when I was thinking of foolishness, as I was thinking about this this last week, I, there's this quote I love that comes from um, a very famous missionary and martyr in church history, uh, Jim Elliott. And Jim Elliott made this quote that many of us uh, who've who've studied uh, missiology or, you know, read about any of his stuff, uh, a quote that's probably imprinted itself on your heart. But he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Now, you understand the quote, right? You're not, you're not really foolish, though others would say you are. You're, you're not foolish if you give your life to the Lord. If you give what you cannot keep, this life, I can't keep this thing. You can't keep this thing. It's going away for all of us. But if you give that which you cannot keep to gain that which you cannot lose, salvation in Christ, forgiveness for my sins, paradise forever, hope in this life and the next, good happening all the time in my life, despite my circumstances, despite my health, despite my resources, the glory of God shown to a person of flesh to know him and to be known by him. Oh, what a privilege. And then we think, I am surrounded by people every day who need to know that Savior. Right? And, and, and I've, I've started to wonder, how many of these random encounters in our life aren't so random? Right? You have these moments, right? You're shopping and you're checking out at checkout counter and you comment about something the person's wearing or maybe you're having a conversation at clicks. And before long, you find you're actually in a little bit of a conversation there. I wonder if that's not so accidental after all. If God hasn't put you in that moment to say something right? Or, or the person you bump into just randomly, you didn't expect to meet this person. Like we went to a party this last week. I ended up sitting down having a conversation with a guy I never would have met had we not been there. And as I'm talking to him, suddenly I just <laughs> felt that same thing. Like, I wonder if there's a reason I'm talking to this guy. And so I, I get to cheat because I'm a pastor, but I was just like, hey, you know, I'm a pastor. Um, tell me your story. What's your story with God? Right? <laughs> so he's just like, ah, well, and then he just kind of goes into things, but I'm like, I get free reign. Um, but you got to find you got to find some sort of way to do that. So here's, here's what we've been saying to people, and I just, we started saying this last week a little bit. What we would like you to do is we'd like you to invite somebody. Invite someone into the story that God has waiting for them. Now, we know ultimately it's a story of redemption in Jesus Christ and a fulfilling life focused on him as their Savior and Lord, but I would just say invite somebody. Invite them to church with you. You know, give, there's little cards in the back of your seat. Uh, everybody's got, they're there every week. And uh, these are called kindness cards. These are outreach cards. And really what they're meant is for you to present them to somebody uh, after you've done kind of a kind deed for them, after you bought their cup of coffee or helped them change a tire or, or done something for them. And, um, and then you hand them this card and say, well, hey, join me at church, will you? 
Uh, funny story, we went out to, uh, we went out to eat this uh, Chinese buffet, our staff did this last week. And while we're sitting there eating, uh, this um, man comes up and he starts talking to us because one of our staff was wearing a jacket. And he comes by the table, he's like, hey, I see you're wearing this jacket, are you from there? And he goes, oh no, I'm not from there, I just have this jacket. And so I have this conversation. Now the staff had just been talking about We've got to make sure we're always thinking about the people around us, inviting them into the story that God has for them, inviting them to church. And so as this guy's talking to us, you can see like eight people reaching for their wallets and their cards. Like, you know, I was like, who's going to get him first, right? And then as we're talking to him, somebody brings up the idea of church and suddenly he pulls out a stack of cards from his pocket and he's like, hey, y'all should come to my church. And he starts giving them out to us and we're all looking at each other like, dude, he just like church shamed us. Like, what is it? What's up with that? And and so we're sitting there thinking, and then I, I think I heard him say as he was handing it out, like, you know, I got to do five more of these. And I was like, are you on a quota? Like, how can, that's not even right. Then I'm thinking, you know, like, well, if he can do five, Sandhills can do six, right? So like, we're going to go out show this church. But, but here's what I love about this idea. The idea is this, and we know it, it's not about inviting somebody to church. It's about inviting somebody to Jesus. That's what we really want, because that's where we're going to find what they really need. But let's just hope that in a healthy church, you're going to find Jesus, that you're going to hear about him and respond to the gospel. And so, you know, when this guy's doing this, I'm like, man, I, just, I had such appreciation for that. You know, I just thought, this guy is stepping out on a limb to talk to a table full of like eight people that he doesn't know to give out cards to come to his church. And I thought, man, that's just... That was convicting for me. And so here's my encouragement. Sandhills, take some of those cards, invite someone into the story God has waiting for them. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for the great privilege of knowing Jesus Christ, for the great privilege of being known by you, being counted as your child. Lord, I would pray this, that, um, that even though we're, we know our lives are still pretty messy from time to time, and uh, we're not ever probably where we feel we need to be. But let us not be distracted from mission, Father. Let, let us not be nudged off course, that your plan does involve the, the full working you want to do in our lives and the lives of the people around us. But Lord, we're surrounded every day by people that need to meet Jesus Christ. And none of us would say that, that maybe we feel as uh, capable as we'd like to in talking to people and leading them to Christ. But I think all of us could invite somebody to our church. And my prayer would be, Lord, that, that you would stir conversations throughout the week where that little voice in the back of our head would, would begin to wonder, why does God have you talking to this person? And that we'd be able to say something about the Word of God or uh, pray for them in a, in a meaningful way or even invite them to church. And thank you in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Sandhills Community Church. Feel free to share this with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information, please visit our website at www dot sandhillschurch dot org